Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. But we believe that you have come to a place in a church that you can have an encounter with God. And not just an idea of God, not just more knowledge of God, but you can actually know who God is and God can know you. That's what we we believe, that God wants to know you and then ultimately to get you to this place where you can experience freedom in your life from hurts, from habits, from hangups, from sin patterns in your life. Because how many of you know, like you can't move forward in your life if you remain stuck in the pain of the past. And so God wants to heal those areas of your your life and make you whole so that you can be equipped for the calling that he has for you because you have one. Every single person in this room, you have a calling of God on your, your life. In fact, the Bible tells us that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he formed you in your mother's womb. And he actually tells us that he created the thing for you to do, then created you. How awesome is that? that you were created on purpose for a purpose. And so we believe God wants to take us in this journey of encountering him and experiencing freedom so that we can be equipped for the calling that he has. And we're in this series talking about Jesus and who Jesus is, and it's leading us up into uh, Easter. And here's our foundational text. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the message version, uh, a paraphrase of God's word. And this is what Paul says. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches or the latest philosophies. I deliberately kept it. I love this plain and simple. How many of you know I am a cookies on the bottom shelf kind of person? Like, I just want to be able to relate to me. I, I want the, the Sunday to count for something on Monday. Or right? if we just give you some high and lofty ideas that don't apply to your life. Like, I want it plain and I want it simple. That's the way I receive it. And it says this, first Jesus, who he is, and Jesus, what he did. Jesus crucified. That's what we're looking at in this series, and that's what we're gonna discover. Jesus, who he is, and Jesus, what he did. Our goal, every time we gather, whether it's in this room or in a small group, is for you to follow Jesus more closely. But we can't follow him closely, right, until we we see him for, for who he is, until we can see him clearly. And that's important, because how many of you know how you perceive someone is how you receive them? For, for example, if you're going to go meet with someone and you have a friend that says, hey, before you meet with that person, you should know they're kind of negative. Well, if you perceive them that way, then you're going to be looking for some negativity in their life and you're going to receive them as negative. Are you with me? Like whether, whether they are or not is not the point, but it's how you perceive them determines how you receive them. Or, or if they say, hey, before you go into that meeting, that person is a gossip. Well, if you go into that meeting thinking that, then you're going to be guarded. You might not, you know, kind of reveal, you know, everything. You're going to keep some things close to your, your chest because how you perceive them determines how you receive them. And the same is true with Jesus. If we have a misconception or a, mis, uh, a perception of Jesus that is, you know, Jesus is, you know, he just, he wants to get you or that he's some sort of cosmic killjoy, then that's how you're going to receive him. But if you perceive him as someone who loves you, that his mercies are new for you every morning, that his his love for you is is never ending, it's relentless, right? That he is a, a good God that has good plans for you, 
then that's how you're going to receive him. Are you with me? That's the posture that you're going to take when it comes to Jesus. And that's what you're going to be looking for. And that's important because how we perceive Jesus shapes how we receive him. And I say that because today I want to look at an aspect of Jesus that is, is hard to comprehend, to say the least, that is a little bit difficult to understand, perhaps can even be confusing or mysterious, and that is this right here, write it down. He is a miracle worker. He's a miracle worker. Like I said in the beginning of the series that we're going to talk about Jesus and who he is and, and what he does, did, and, and if you know, at the beginning, he is God. We need to know that he is God. Otherwise, if, if he does a miracle, what does it matter? But we need to understand that Jesus is a miracle worker. And in John chapter two, verse one, if you have your Bible, Jesus is conducting uh, his very first miracle, at least that we are aware of. Uh, in fact, here's a little bit of a, a Bible study uh, tip for you. If you wanna know something about about scripture or about what it's talking about, you need to go to the place in the text where it is first mentioned. It's called the law of first mention. You know, that's an original name. Thank you, theologians of the world, right? But you go there because that will give you an indication for how that thing's gonna play out in the rest of the text. And so we're gonna go to the first place that Jesus, it's mentioned that he does a miracle. And we're gonna see what it says. And this is uh, in John chapter two. Verse one, the first miracle he ever did was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Are you there? You ready? All right, here we go. You don't sound ready, but I'm hoping you're ready. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, remember that. There's a reason why he was invited. The wine supply ran out. Somebody say, uh-oh. Lord Jesus, that's a problem when the wine runs out. Ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Remember that, highlight that, underline that in your, your text. We're gonna come back to that. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. And he says, a host serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink and it starts buzzing a little bit, then he brings out the less expensive Franzia box wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign in Cana of Galilee, in Galilee was the first time Jesus, don't miss this, revealed his glory and his disciples believed. Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed believed in him. I want to point out that Jesus did not turn water into wine so that the party could continue. Jesus did not turn water into wine so that the bridegroom could save face because of their lack of preparation and their poor planning. Jesus turned water into wine so that his glory could be revealed and that faith could be increased. 
And I say that because as we begin talking about Jesus, the miracle worker, he does not do miracles in your life to make you happy. He doesn't do miracles in your life to make life easy for you. He does miracles so that his glory will be revealed and that faith will be increased in your life and in the life of those that are observing the miracle. And so Jesus is at this wedding. How many of you know weddings are high pressure moments? If you don't know, it's because you never officiated one. They're high pressure moments. In fact, I would rather, you know, preach to 10,000 people, you know, live than to do a wedding. I would often rather do a funeral than to do a wedding because the person I'm doing the funeral for cannot critique the job that I am doing. But at a wedding, you got a bride staring at you and a mother of the bride staring at you. And if you don't believe people can be demon possessed, then just, I'll let that one go. I'm gonna leave that right there. Bridezilla is a real thing. And so weddings are high pressure moments. And this, this wedding was no uh, exception. It was a high pressure moment. And there are some expectations at this wedding that are not being met. They ran out of wine. And they ran out of wine at a point in the wedding where they didn't need to run out of wine. In fact, Jewish uh, weddings traditionally were not a single day event. Like all the parents of daughters in the room, you should be happy that we changed this custom because early on, it was a week of ceremonies. It was a week of parties, of ceremonies. You thought that one day was expensive. Try paying for that you know, thing for an entire week. And they ran out of wine. And they needed in that moment to find another solution. And I submit that we've all been to this place. Colby, I know I was there last night. We ran out of wine. That's what I'm, not, I'm done talking about that. We've all been to the place in our lives where we've run out of something that we needed. Where we've run out of something and we did not have the capacity. We did not have the ability in and of ourselves to fulfill the need that we have. Are you with me? If you don't know what I'm talking about, live life long enough and you will find that at some point in your life, you will run out of the ability to solve or to answer the problem that you are faced with. Just ask anybody who's been there. That if you live long enough, you're gonna get to that place in life where you don't have all the solutions for the answers to the questions that you have. And I would propose in that moment that you're gonna need something that is not of this world. You're not just gonna need a natural solution to the problem that you're facing in that moment. You're gonna need a supernatural solution. And you gotta know that this is a church. You walked into a church that believes God still does miracles. That God still opens blind eyes. That God will still heal sickness. We believe that God is the God of immeasurably more than we can ask or, or imagine. So when you feel like you have exhausted all options, I know someone who's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who sees everything in the middle. I know someone who's a creator and sustainer of my life, who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And so we just believe that God is a God of miracles. God is a God of immeasurably more. In fact, I believe that when I run out, that's when God runs in and gives me what I need in the moment. He is a miracle worker. That's this Jesus we're talking about. That we don't come to serve a dead religion. 
We don't come to preside over a funeral, that Jesus is alive. He is a resurrected savior. Are you with me? And he still wants to do miracles, not thousands of years ago, but today. And his activity in our life is not based on his ability. He has all the ability in the world. It's based on our availability. Are you available for God to do a miracle in your life? And Jesus finds himself at this wedding where they can't get something. They've run out of something that they need, but thankfully there's someone there who can supply their need. And the fact that Jesus is at this wedding should tell us something. It tells us that he was in a relationship with this couple that was getting married. Because how many of you know, you don't invite people you don't like to your wedding. <laughs> hey, if you're the groom, you don't invite people that you do like to the wedding a lot of times because you ain't paying for it. Are you with me? Like, they're like, you can invite your mom and one other person and that's it because that's true. Because if you go to a wedding, you see the groom's side has got like two rows full of people. And then the bride's side is like, you know, packed and they're spilling over to the groom's side because they're paying for it. And so I'm just saying they had a relationship with the people getting married. They had a relationship with Jesus and the disciples. And what I love about this story is that it was their proximity to Jesus that allowed them to experience and see the miracle firsthand. It was their closeness to him. It was the relationship they had from him. Can I tell you something? If you want to miss what God wants to do in your life, live at a distance from him. Stay as far away from him. It's dangerous. If you want a miracle, if you need God to do something, it's dangerous to live at a distance from him because at a distance from him, you can kind of see what Jesus is doing, but not really. At a distance from him, you can kind of observe what he wants to do and, and his power in, in other people's lives perhaps, but you're not experiencing it yourself. And I submit that many of us are content to live at a distance from Jesus. In fact, will you help me out? Come on, stand up here. You can just jump up. I know you can. I've seen you box jump. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's just say right now you're Jesus, all right? This is Jesus. And a lot of times we're content to get as far away from Jesus as we can. And so we'll hang out in the back. This, what's up, gang? Is this, how's it going? Is this making you nervous? You're like, I sat back here so nobody would see me. <laughs> but we're content to be as far away from Jesus as we can get. So we wanna be in the room, but we don't wanna be too close to him. Because if we're too close to him, then he might ask us to do something that we don't wanna do. If I get too close to Jesus, he might ask me to give up something that I, I certainly don't want to give up. And so I'm happy to be in the room, but I just don't wanna get too close. And sometimes it's shame that keeps us from getting too close. If I get too close to him, he might, might see my flaws. If I get too close to him, you know, he might you know, have seen the fact that the other day when the guy cut me off in traffic, I, I gave him the universal signal of disapproval, right? And just kind of like, hey, if I get too close to him. And somewhere in our mind, we understand though that he knows everything about us, but we still feel like, hey, if I sit back here, then I can hide. And then I'm out of the way. Not realizing, in fact, if you could do something for me, if you don't get anything out of this, except for this one thing, we often bind to the lie that our proximity to Jesus depends upon our performance. And if I'm doing good, and I had a good week, man, I could maybe sit up here and get closer to Jesus. 
But then I blew up at my kids and I said some things I you know, shouldn't have said. And so because of my performance this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back here. Or, or, or this week I, I went to church and I engaged and I even raised my hand in worship. Well, not quite. You know, I was tapping my foot a little bit. But I, I engaged in the worship and I was singing. So I feel like because of my performance, I can get a little closer to Jesus. Oh, but then I blew up at my wife. We were arguing, we were going to Walmart and we were at each other's throat in the car and my kids were in the back seat going crazy and I was swinging at them, you know, just trying to make contact with a head or an arm or something. <laughs> and we feel like our proximity to Jesus depends upon our performance. But if I can get something deep into your heart, your proximity to Jesus does not depend on your performance, it depends on grace and grace alone. That's it. Nothing else matters. It's not how well that you did. In fact, the crazy thing about Jesus, you're doing a great job, Jesus, up there, by the way. The amazing thing about Jesus and Christianity, it is the only religion where Jesus says, come to me. He says, come. Well, wait, but I blew it. No, he says, I don't care about that. Come to me just as you as you are. See, religion says you can't come to me until you get some things cleaned up in your life. But Christianity says you come to me with your pride, come to me with your anger, come to me with your doubt, come to me with your outbursts. That's what Christianity is. Come on, thanks, Jesus. And what does Jesus tell us? He says, come to me all who are weary or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what the opposite of rest is? Performance. It's exhausting to perform. It's exhausting to always try to get things right, to do things you know, right all the time. That's what religion does. It's a performance. And he says, come to me, and I will give you, you rest. I'll give you rest. If you're heavy laden or heavy burden, what does that mean? That means you've placed some things on your life. Or religion has placed something on you. Because religion says, stop doing this, stop doing that. But can I tell you something? If you fall in love with Jesus, no one has to tell you to stop. You just do it because you want to. Because you are in love with him. In fact, that's why churches are not the legislators of morality. That's not our job. Our job is to point people to Jesus and have Jesus change their hearts from the inside out. We don't have to tell people to stop. We just have to say, look to Jesus. And what does he tell you to do? And you do it because you want to. The Bible says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. I used to read that. If you love me, then you're going to obey. But that's not how he says it. He says, if you love me, when you love me, you'll want to obey. It changes us from this, I got to do this, to I, I get to do this. Why? Because you fell in love. And every man in this room that has dated someone or is married to someone, you know this to be true. Because when you were dating and you met her, like you went to that chick flick and you liked it. You saw the notebook and you liked it. Why? Because you were in love. Are you with me? Like you started listening to boy bands, like tell me why he ain't nothing. Because you were in love. And the same thing is true. Jesus says, come to me. And when you love me, right? Christianity is a love relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus had a relationship with the people at the wedding. 
And your performance is not a prerequisite for a relationship with God. It is grace and grace alone. So Jesus' mom goes to him and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And what does he say in verse four? Literally, he's like, that's not my problem. Not my party, not my problem. Why are you telling me this? He says, my time has not yet come. And real quick, he was not being disrespectful in that moment to his mother. What he was saying was, I'm under a different authority. Like I came to the earth to do the will of the father. And this isn't, my time has not yet come. I'm not yet ready to go public with my my power, public with my ministry at this moment. And we don't understand all of Jesus's life because there's about a 20 year gap uh, where there's nothing written about him. Not a lot of insights into his, his life. We, of course, have a little bit about his birth and about sweet little baby Jesus, and, and that's Christmas, and then a little bit up to the time where he was in the temple around 12 or 13 years old, and they were coming back from the temple, and Mary and Joseph you know, lost Jesus, if you remember that story, which, by the way, if you've ever lost your kid, don't feel bad, they lost Jesus, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> but we don't have a whole lot about the life of, of Jesus, and then, and then he starts his public ministry around 30. And so we don't have a whole lot of insight into his life, and I just have to wonder, because right after he said, my time has not yet come, what did his mother say? She said, just do whatever he tells you to do, which is weird. Like, why would she say that? It kind of makes you wonder if Mary was like, ah, uh, it's been a strange childhood bringing up Jesus. Like she had a little bit of an inside scoop to his potential, right? After all, she knew that, that he was the son of God. I wonder if there was a precursor to the event of him feeding the 5,000. If, if Mary wasn't baking one day and said, dang it, I didn't bake enough bread for dinner. And Jesus is like, I got your mom. You know, it's cool. It was funnier to me in my head. But it says, do whatever he tells you to do. And I would just say this to you. If you want to see the miracle working power of God in your life, that's a great place to start. Just do whatever he tells you to do. In fact, I see a few things in this story and how it can happen in our life. And the first one is that write it down, follow the instruction. You just got to follow the instruction. I mean, they obeyed Jesus completely. They obeyed him, him fully. And sometimes I think we don't see the full working of God in our life because we want 100% of the miracle on 50% obedience. Like we, we say, hey, God, I've seen you do it for them. Or we start playing the comparison game. I've seen you do it for them, but you don't, you don't do it for me. And maybe it's because we haven't gone all in with God. Maybe it's because we haven't offered him 100% obedience. Like God's calling us to do. And we're like, well, I'll go 50-50, God, if you meet me halfway. Or I'll go, you know, 75% obedience. And God's like, if you want 100% of the blessing, you got to give 100% obedience. Are you with me? Because the miracle is often inside the instruction that he's already given us. Like, what do you mean, Colby? You're speaking in code. I- I'm saying that, that sometimes when we pray things like, Jesus, just do it. Like, I don't even know what that means, but we'll pray, Jesus, just do it. Just do it. Fix it for me. Fix my, fix my finances. And Jesus goes, all right, well, I've already given you the instruction, tithe. Uh-oh. Be a good steward of what I've given you. Return a portion, you know, back to me that I have blessed you. You with the miracles already in the instruction. And the miracle that we're seeking can be found 
in the word that God's already given. Jesus put mud on the guy's eyes who was blind and he did not see immediately. He only could see after he followed the instruction to go wash it off. Or, or Moses, hey, throw your staff down and it's gonna become a snake. And when it becomes a snake, then Pharaoh's gonna know, right, that I am the Lord. And, and Moses has to be thinking, well, that's an odd instruction, but the, the miracle was on the other side of his obedience. So I would just say we gotta follow the instruction that's already been given. And sometimes we don't do it and follow the instruction and obey because it takes humility. But his power working in our, our life is often based in obedience and obedience requires humility. Why is that? Because sometimes the instruction seems ridiculous. Sometimes the instruction seems like, what are you even thinking? Jesus instructed these guys, okay, go fill ceremonial jars with water. And they gotta be like, uh, excuse me, Jesus, we got water. We need wine. Wine is what we're after. He's like, oh, okay. Go fill ceremonial water jars with water. Uh, Jesus, that's not what we're talking about. And a lot of times, you know, God is speaking to us. And we'll say, God, I need you to fix my relationship. And he says, okay, go apologize for acting like an idiot. Go ask for forgiveness. No, 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 Jesus, that's not what I'm thinking. I don't want to do that. I just want you to fix my relationship. God, fix my, my finances. Okay, you know, tithe. Be a good steward. Return what I've, I've given you. No, 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 Jesus, I was thinking a raise. That's, that's kind of would sound better to me. And oftentimes, we don't want to be obedient to what he's already given in his word for us. And if we want the miracle working power of Jesus, it begins with following the instruction, being obedient. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. We often, we also have to get to that place where we expect the unexpected. I mean, you've heard people say, right, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And that's true. Like he does. And he works in ways that we can't comprehend. He works in ways that are outside of our, our thinking and outside of our box. And a lot of times we want to put God in a box and go, okay, I will follow the instruction. I will give obedience as long as you work it out like this. I'll follow you, God, and I'll do that as long as you do it this way. But how many of you know God will push you beyond your comfort zone? He'll put you outside of your comfort zone. He'll put you in a deeper water that's over your head because that's where faith is. Like faith is, is not doing something that you can do. Faith is following him when you can't do it. Because in your box, you're comfortable. Because in your understanding, you're in control. Because in your understanding, you call the shots. And God's like, no, no. Like, I got to get you outside of that. I got to get you outside your box so that I can get you into a place where you are completely and utterly dependent upon me. That's where faith is. Where you're not leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on my understanding. Where you are trusting me for each and every step. Because that's what God calls us to. This adventure of faith, and it's scary. You know why it's scary? Because yes, he, he gives you gifts, and he wants you to work in your gifts, but he also wants you to walk in your weaknesses. And a lot of times we see our weaknesses as 
is areas in our life where we can't progress, where we can't move, move forward. We look at our life through the, the lens of our weaknesses, but God looks at our weaknesses through the lens of opportunity. And it could just be we overlook the very thing that God wants to use, our weaknesses, so that, that he can do something amazing. So for his, his glory in our life, he, he told these guys, hey, there's some jars like, I want you to get those jars, to, to put water in those jars that he turned into wine. And so I would just say this, don't count out what you consider to be a weakness in your life. Because it could be the very thing that God will, will use in your life to show his power. This is how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, hey, three different times, I begged God to take this thing away from me. Talking about some, some weakness that he had some thorn in his, in his flesh, something that kept him up at night. He said, but each time he said, hey, my grace is all you need. For some of you that keep beating yourself up in that pattern of sin or that habit that you're doing over and over, and you're like, why can't I, why can't I, why can't I? Just remember his grace is all you need. Then he says this, my power works best in weakness. If you want the power of God flowing in and through your life, you cannot cover your weakness. You have to expose your weakness and surrender your weakness to God. Religion has done us a disservice. Religion says you gotta act this way. You gotta act strong. You gotta act like you figure it all out. You gotta act like you can do it on your, your own. And when you do that, you actually push out the power of God working in your life. It's only when you go, I don't have it all together. I can't do this on my own. God, I'm desperate for you. Then God goes, okay, now I can get involved in that. That's where my power can be made strong is in their weakness. And you know why he does it that way? Because when the world sees your weaknesses being used for his purposes, they will glorify him and him alone. Again, it's so that his glory can be revealed and, his, and faith can be increased. It doesn't take faith to do things that you're good at. It takes faith to get out of your comfort zone to where people say only God could do that. So we gotta expect the unexpected. And I would ask you this then, what are the, the words that you are speaking over your life? Because the words that you speak about your life say something about you. Are they words of faith? Are they the words of, of expectation? Um, I bet if I spent long enough with you and just overheard conversations, I could tell you the direction of your life just by the words that you speak. Because your sound gives you away. Your sound gives you away. In fact, I heard somebody uh, say this, that have you ever watched a movie and noticed the difference that sound makes, that the audio track makes? Like if you're watching a movie and there's a kid, you know, he's just kind of kicking a ball in the front yard. And he kicks it out into the street but if the soundtrack is going like, doo, 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 you're like, hey, it's okay, little kid. Go get the ball. It's okay. Doo, 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 doo. But if he's in the yard kicking a ball and the ball rolls out into the street and the soundtrack is more like, dun, 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 dun. then you're like, no, little kid, where's your mom? Like little kid, run inside. Little kid, don't grow up. You're going to die, right? Because the difference that the sound makes, and the same is true in your life. The sound that you make says a lot about you. 
The words that you speak, the declarations that you say over your life tell whether you are filled with faith and expectation of a God who does miracles or if you are living in fear and living believing that God is a distance God, distant God, who is disconnected from you, who doesn't do it for you. You see him do it for other people, but not for, for you. But when you live in close proximity to Jesus, then you wake up every day with an expectation that he can do what he says he can do. And that is he is a miracle worker. Are you with me? Your sound gives you away. It gives you away. So I got to follow the instruction. I have to expect the unexpected. And here's the last thing. I got to believe the best. I'm going to believe the best. Because what did the text tell us in verse 9? It said, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water... That was now wine. He called the bridegroom over. He's like, hey, 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 come here. He says, a host always serves the best first, but you have kept the best until now. When Jesus does something, he does it the best. He always does it the best. In fact, what did it say? Can you guys help me out? He said that, that he had uh, these guys come and take these stone water jars for use for ceremonial washing that held 20 to 30 gallons of water each. Like that's a lot. That's a lot of, of water. That's a, a lot of wine. And then he, he turned that into wine. And so 20 to 30 gallons times six jars gives us up to 180 gallons. And thinking about this, I wanted to make sure that you had a picture in your mind of what 180 gallons looks like. 180 gallons of the good stuff, of the, the best stuff. He said, you save the best until last. And Jesus always does the best. You know that throughout the, the Bible, wine is used as a metaphor for joy, for celebration, for abundance. It's used as a metaphor for, for overflow. And so I believe that in this moment with this, this first miracle that Jesus did that sets the tone for, for this miracle throughout the rest of the scripture is that he's giving us a picture of the kingdom of God. And that picture is, is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom of, of overflow. It's a kingdom of, of more than enough. It's a kingdom that when you run out of your ability, of your capacity, of your strength, of your uh, able to do anything, when you run out, that God has more than enough. That he wasn't just meeting a physical need in the moment. He was telling us that 2,000 years later, where you run out, I'm going to run in. When you run out of hope, I have more hope than you could ever need in your life. When you run out of peace, I got more peace than you could ever need in your life. When you run out of joy, I have more joy than you could ever imagine that I am more than enough, that I am the God of the impossible, that I am the God of overflow, that I own the cattle on a thousand hills, that I have more than enough. And I just came to declare over someone's life today that today your joy is coming back. Today your hope is coming back. 
Today, you're, you're, maybe you need to be healed from some area of your life, but today, in Jesus' name, that's coming back, that he is a God of miracles, not just a God that does something 2,000 years ago, but he wanted to tell us today that he is the God of abundance and more than enough. And thinking about how to close our time together, God spoke to my heart and he said, you know, don't talk about the miracles of Jesus and not give an opportunity for those miracles to be displayed in someone's life. It was almost like this, how dare you, Colby? How dare you talk about the power that I have to heal, the power that I have to to supply, the power that I have to give when you run out without giving people the chance to receive what they need in that moment. And this is what James tells us, it says, hey, is anybody sick? You need to pray. Is anybody happy? You need to praise. But if anybody needs healing for something, you need to come before the elders of the church and be anointed with oil in the name of Jesus. The Bible says the prayers of a righteous man offered of a righteous man will be heard. And so today you just need to know that God's healing ability is available for you. Are you available to receive it? Because he has more than enough. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna sing a song. And then we're gonna give an opportunity for those of you that that want to be healed from something, whether it's sickness, whether it's a spiritual, something you need to be healed from, a mental illness. You know what, we're gonna pray over depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and and physical healing and, and against cancer. And this is what I'm saying. We have never done this before except for this weekend. And maybe because it could be thought of as weird or spooky or I don't know, just outside of the box, but God is an outside of the box God. And he told me this morning, he spoke to my heart and he said, hey, if it was about you, Colby, then we would have issues. But it's not about you. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be hesitant. All you have to do is give the opportunity for people to receive what I want to give them. So stand to your feet. We're gonna sing a song together. Then I'm gonna come back out and I'm gonna give you the chance to get just that from God. God, we pray right now that you would begin to work in our hearts and minds, that your Holy Spirit would begin to move in our lives, God, that if there are sicknesses, if if there's healing that needs to happen, that right now this would be a house of healing, a house of hope, a house of rescue where relationships are restored, where hearts are healed from hurt, where addictions are broken, where chains fall off in Jesus' name, where eyes are opened to the greatest miracle of all, which is forgiveness of sins offered through you and your death on the cross and the resurrection. And so God, we pray right now that you would move in this place in Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. 
If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.